everyone. Good morning. Good morning, Webstream. Um, you guys are going to have to give me grace this morning. I woke up yesterday. I don't know if I've ever lost my voice my whole life. I woke up yesterday with zero voice. <laughs> I was like, okay, okay, Lord. So I feel like um, you just, just give me grace. But I also thought it was kind of ironic and maybe even a wink from heaven. It's like my dad's here in the flesh with you guys. So here I am, but I have his voice. And, uh, and hopefully his anointing is his spiritual voice as well. <laughs> Oh my goodness, you know, I'm talking to myself, t talking to Kenny, thinking I sound just like my dad. Um, so it's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, Tammy just showed me on her phone some texts that a couple people sent in watching it on the web stream. So good morning to you too. And it's, it is so cool. I'm sitting here thinking, wow, what a day we're living in that this can happen. We all have to be separated, but we can still meet together and worship together, and look at the word of God together, and, and feast on his abundance, though we're not together in, 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 in uh, the physical sense, we're together in spirit. So I'm just sitting here thinking, wow, Lord, you know, he's using technology to glorify his name, and to encourage the church. I mean, virtual prayer rooms, I'm like, that's so cool. <laughs> I want to go into a virtual room and receive prayer from, from, you know, this church and your guys' staff. Anyway, I'm just thinking, this is amazing. So I'm really glad to be here with you guys um, this morning. Yeah, in January when we said, yeah, let's go, we had no idea <laughs> that this would be going on. But I, we called um, Bill and Tammy just a couple of days ago. And we were like, hey, if you're in faith for us to come, we're in faith to come. And they said, yeah, come. We, we feel like it's strategic. And um, as I've been just talking to the Lord over this weekend, I'm just feeling it really does feel like we're in this Esther moment. And to be here with you guys in this city that's experiencing, um, I know a lot of cities are experiencing different changes and shifts because of this virus. But in New York, in a unique sense, thank you, Tammy. Thank you. That's the mama right there. Um, New York, in a unique sense, has the eyes of the world upon it. And so even though there's, th there's other places that this is being experienced, it's unique to me that we're here at this time and, and, and during this global fast. You know, a global trial or global pandemic, the only fitting response is a global fast. And, you know, last year, the year before that this fast was even called, no one knew that this was going to be the case. No one knew we'd be 15 or 16 days into a 40-day fast across the earth. And, and meanwhile, this would be going on. And so you really, we have to look at it through heavenly perspective and understand the Lord knows times and seasons. He understands before they even come about what will be happening on the earth. And he has a, a plan and a purpose to use his church in the midst of trial or fear or whatever word you want to fill in the blank. He wants to use his church to be a light and to, to do what his church has always done, to stand with his heart, to ask him what he's doing, and then to pray his intention into being. And so just this morning as we're gathered, my heart is full of faith. Not because I have a great word, but because I really do believe that this time is unique and we get to be living and breathing in it and be, be, we're able to be friends of God in the midst of it. And so I'm going to just pray again, if that's okay. 
pray for our time, pray for my voice. Um, you guys can understand me. It's clear enough, I hope. Um, and then I just have, I, I just wanted to read one passage. In Zechariah 4, there's a, a, a verse, and I'll just, I'll just, um, I'm going to just try to pull it up right here. Here, I put a, there you go. Um, it's Zechariah 4. I'm not speaking out of it. It's not really in my message, but I felt like I was just to read it before I start and to pray. Pray this word over, over the earth right now. It says in verse 6, 4 verse 6, um, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? And I just feel this morning, what are you, coronavirus, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. And so I just want to pray, Father, we thank you that this morning, we come into a place that is higher than the opinions of man. It is above what's being forecasted on the news. We come right now as sons and daughters to the, the throne of our Father and our brother Christ, who is standing far above all rule and authority. Father, who has been already given the name that is above every other name. Father, we come and right now we stand as your children. We partner with your heart. And we say grace, grace to this mountain right now. Father, we say grace, grace in the earth in this hour. Father, we ask you that high places would be leveled, that the valleys would be lifted up, that salvation would come as a result of this virus. Father, that your name would be made famous in the earth through this sickness. Father, we say grace, grace to your church in the earth right now, even in this very city as they're streaming not just this service but many services we say grace grace to the body of Christ in this city be strengthened those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits we say that to the church in this city and across America and the earth today father we ask you turn what the enemy has intended for evil and use it for good use it for your glory and for salvation in the earth be with us this morning. Strengthen me to speak only what your spirit is saying. And strengthen our hearts to receive your word. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you have foreknown this time of history. You have already known this season. We honor you as the one who has authored the ages. We worship you. Be present in every room, every home, every living room today. Be present here with us in Jesus' name. Amen. I just, as Tammy got up and she gave that word, stand up, I just immediately, that, that verse uh, in Zechariah came, and I was like, yes, come on. I feel that even in my own spirit, there's that, that kind of spirit that would threaten courage in the heart of the church right now. You know, all these different voices that are giving opinions, and I'm not saying those opinions aren't valid or real. I think, I, I really appreciated what you read this morning. Yes, we have to be wise. That Martin Luther said what he what you read. I was thinking, wow, that's really wise. I, I wanna not be, be loose and foolish in this hour. But in the midst of that, as there are so many opinions that I think want to threaten the strength of the church, the Lord is saying, be strong and courageous in the midst of that. There is no mountain I can't make low, and there's no valley I cannot raise. And, and there is grace, grace to be shouted in, in the face of that sickness in those mountains. And, 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 and so, amen. Man, my voice, my voice. <laughs>
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, grace, grace to my voice. Um, I, I, uh, I, I really don't have a long, deep, you know, verse-by-verse verse message to share with you this morning. I kind of am, have morphed kind of what was originally on my heart about three months ago when I knew I was going to be here to kind of what I feel like the Lord maybe is just whispering to me in the midst of this. And I just want to deliver to you guys. Um, and, 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 uh, and I'm going to just start, I feel like I'm to read just a small passage of one of the Gospels. I'm not going to teach on it, as it were, but I'm just going to keep referencing it because I, I feel like the Lord highlighted it to me. And it's in Mark chapter 4. In Mark chapter 4, um, I'm going to start verse 35, and I'm just going to read a few verses. It says, on that day when evening came, he said to them, this is Jesus, he says to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. You all know the story, what's about to take place. He says, let's go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Just picture this with me. Jesus, who is all-knowing, he understands as he says, let's go to the other side. He understands the storm that's in front of the disciples and himself. He knows what's coming. And, it me, I, I, and I just like to envision, oh, if you know what's coming, then you know the lesson you want to teach to your church in the midst of what's coming. So he says, hey, let's get on the boat and let's go over. They're like, great, let's go. They're all fishermen. They understand the water. But then out of nowhere, this huge storm that no one foresaw is coming. And it says that water is being, is, is flowing into the boat. I, I don't know. I'm not like a scholar of those days. I don't know what size fishing boat they had. But I imagine it was pretty small. And any water getting in there was pretty startling, pretty scary. And so we, we all know this story. It says Jesus himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, can you imagine this? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, Jesus is asleep. They're like, wake up. There is water filling our boat. There is a storm. You're the one who told us to get on this boat in the first place. And you're asleep. Wake up. Don't you care that we're perishing? And it says he got up. He rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, hush, be still. Three words. He gets up, and he just says, hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey? This morning, I just, I, I think I want to just talk about the church's response to God and to one another and to the lost in the midst of crisis. I read already on Friday night out of Joel 2, and I'm not going to touch on that as much quite yet, but I feel like this, this passage was highlighted me, to me because right now in the earth, the church and the lost together are in a similar scenario. Right now... We're in this place that Jesus has already known would come, but we're not sure fully how to respond. All of a sudden, there's fierce wind and rain and waves, real waves that people are experiencing, real loss that is taking place in the earth. And we're saying, Lord, don't you care that this is happening? 
And Jesus, he's not asleep right now, but he's at peace because he knows that just one word from his mouth can calm what's taking place right now. It is not hard for Jesus to put a stop to what's taking place. It is not hard for him. He is not in heaven worried right now about the spread of this virus. He cares. He cares deeply, but he's not worried. He's not afraid. And he, he, I, I, I have this sense in my heart that as the church is saying, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't you care that our, our, our services are being relegated to, 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 to in homes and web stream? Don't you care that we can't meet together? Don't you care that the lost are, there really are people that are losing their lives? Don't you care, Lord? And I feel like him, Jesus in his tenderness is responding. He does care, but he's not afraid. And all that, all that takes place, it's so simple. He gets up and he says just three words, hush, be still. And their response is, wow, who is this voice that even the wind and the waves obey? I believe not very long from now, that will be our response to this virus. Wow, who is this voice that this virus obeyed because he spoke, because the church prayed, and it, was, it came to an end. His voice is powerful. It is what moves the wind and the waves, and it can cause things to cease or be stirred up. So this story has just been on my heart, and so from there I want to go here. I feel like the first response we have to have as the church is to look at Jesus in the midst of crisis. I feel like it's easy as humans, as mankind, to look first to our government, to look first to church leaders, to look first even to ourselves. Am I prepared? Do I have what I need? What am I going to need? How much toilet paper am I going to need? We all know that's going on right now. But, but, but in the midst of crisis, the first place that the church must look, the place where our eyes must be fixed are upon Jesus, who is in control of the situation. Not upon the enemy and what he's intending for evil. Not upon even our President Trump. Not upon the, the, the leadership or governments of other nations or scientists who, you know, what's going on? Please find a vaccine, find, find the answers for us. We must be fixed steadily upon Christ, who is the rock in the midst of trouble. And a similar story to this one is the story of Peter. You know, Jesus is out and he's walking upon the water. It says he's going to just walk by them, which I think is funny. Like, he's just walking by the boat. I don't know. I don't know why he wasn't going to stop, but I think he knew. They saw him. And Peter says, Lord, call me out to you and I'll come. And Jesus says, okay, come. And so Peter steps out on the water, and he steps again. I mean, this is crazy. If I was in that boat, I would have been like, whoa, look at this. This guy's walking on water. And he's walking, but it says as soon as he began to look at the, the wind and the waves, instead of Christ, he began to sink. And so my heart this morning is to share with anyone who's listening, first, our first response as the church in the midst of trial is to look to Jesus. Christ, who is in a real place, he's enthroned upon the, 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 the center of the universe, he's enthroned above the earth, he already understands the times and seasons, and he's not quaking in his throne, he is not afraid of what's taking place. The first response of the church is look to Jesus, to not allow our response to crisis or fear to be dictated by, by the news. I, I keep saying it, but I feel like it's just, just to encourage your hearts. It's easy to be swept up in the swirl. 
it's easy to go into Costco and see there's no water left and feel like this is really scary because we all need water. It's easy to be caught up when you see the news reporting 400 people lines outside of stores before they're even opening. It's easy to feel fear. Fear is not, is not, but fear is not the, the, the intention that Christ has for his church right now. He wants us to be strong and courageous, to not be swept up by popular opinion, to not be swept up by the tides, no matter what they're saying, but to be confident Christ is the rock and he has answers when no one else has answers. He has answers when our pastors don't have answers. He understands in the midst of it all what he is doing, what his intention is. And even if it's the enemy doing this, Christ has a response that we're going to look at in not too long from now and we're going to worship him for it. Wow, Lord. You used something that was really, really wicked and, and scary. You used something that was real and really damaged lives, but you used it for glory and for salvation. You used it for restoration. Who is like the Lord? Who is like that? Who can turn evil and turn it into good? And so just my heart this morning is just to say, uh, the first response of the church is to have utter confidence in Christ who is right now leading. And then I think from that place, when we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, we begin to ask as the church, okay, what are you doing? It's not just, okay, I can, I can see you, that's great. Although I, I love the song that they led. I've never heard that song, but something, um, my fears and worries can come too because they can't stay long when I'm with you. That's the heart of the Lord for his church right now. That yes, fear is real, worry is real, anxiety is real, but in the light of his face, those things fade so quickly. And then the church looking at Christ who's in control can then ask him, okay, what are you doing? What are you doing in this hour? The year 2020, right now there are plans for stadiums to be filled all across the earth this year. Uh, even friends of ours are put, we're, we're even in the Middle East going to plan to fill stadiums with unbelievers. Brazil, Argentina, um, even in Kansas City, they're planning on filling stadiums. Right now, there is a gospel thrust that is like unlike any time in history where missionaries are being sent, where people are being saved in the hardest, most, most crazy places to imagine. The Lord is moving. But in the midst of that, when the enemy begins to see that, he begins to respond and so he'll send things or he'll move in ways that are to put a stop to that movement of the gospel. He doesn't want us to gather in stadiums this year. He doesn't want believers corporately meeting together as the church to worship and to speak, to be stirred up, and then to go out and preach the gospel. It is it is in his best interest if the whole church is so afraid and they just have to stay home. It's in the enemy's best interest if none of us can leave our houses because of government mandates. But the Lord knows that in the midst of those things, he wants his gospel to go forth. He wants missionaries to be sent. He doesn't want travel to be banned. He wants open waves so that the lost can be saved, so that the church is strengthened to do what the church is here to do. And so we know, okay, if in this hour when there was this gospel thrust that this is, has risen up, Lord, we know you have a response to that. And so it's, okay, Lord. As your church, what is your plan in the midst of what's going on? And then how do we partner with it? 
in, in, in 1857, you guys all know this because you're from New York or you live here, but in 1857, there was a revival in New York. Two blocks away, she said, I have been so stirred the last three months reading stories of this revival, the businessmen's revival or the noon hour prayer revival. And, and what happened was this guy, Jeremiah Lanthier, he's, he, he basically, as like this last-ditch effort, he, he decides to call a one-hour-a-week prayer meeting on Wednesdays. It's the noon hour prayer, and he puts some signs around. He says, hey, if you're a businessman and you want to come, just come for five minutes, ten minutes, or an hour, and just begin to seek the Lord in the midst of your busy daily life. And so the first, the, first, the story, as far as I know and what I've learned on Google and books, um, is he's there the first hour, and then 30 minutes go by, and he's alone, and then he hears some steps. They're coming up, and one or two guys come, and then a couple more come, and it's six of them at the end of it. But they decide, hey, why don't we begin to just do this daily or weekly, and then after that it became daily. Correct me if I'm wrong, but 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 it becomes it becomes this daily one-hour prayer meeting, and all of a sudden it begins to spread like wildfire across New York City. All of a sudden, businessmen and, and moms and all these different people from all these different spheres begin to meet and gather and pray all across the city, and it begins to light a fire. New York, you are sitting upon a well of revival already. There is already a history of prayer that changes things in this city. And I want to say to you as the church in this city, it is time to tap into that anointing that is not dormant. It is not dead. It's just waiting for the church to pick it up again. There is that spirit of revival in the hearts of New York. And to me, it's like no wonder the enemy wants to spread fear. No wonder he wants to pour water on the fire that the Lord is setting. But I believe the Lord has real plans, a real purpose to ignite that same fire, that same revival fire. Said by the end of it, it was spread all across our nation and tens of thousands had been saved. Even a quote I have, I don't know completely how right it is. But it says it was probably one of the greatest awakenings ever experienced by the United States of America. It was estimated that in the period of 1858 to 1859, fully one million people were converted from a population of less than 30 million. That is crazy. What if in this hour the church in this city grabs a hold of that? says, okay, we can only meet in homes? Great, we're going to meet in homes. Okay, we're not allowed out of our front door? Great, me and my two roommates, we're going to get on our knees, and we're going to begin to cry out, and we're going to be, be begin to say, Lord, now is the hour. Now is the time for you to pour out your spirit in the midst of the waves. Lord, we're not afraid of what's going on. We're not afraid or moved by popular opinion, but we're strengthened by what we understand is your will, and his will we know is that all men would be saved. His will is that the church would begin to pray what he's asking them to pray, and then he would begin by his might to shift things on earth. We know that he is able. We know that we are praying to a God whose right arm can shift anything in a moment. Three words it took Jesus. Hush, be still. And those waves and that wind cease. He is wanting his church to be lit aflame in this hour. I really believe it. And we're in New York. I'm, I've been found myself praying this weekend. God, I'm not from New York, and I don't think I'm called here. But if I am, great. But I don't think so. Um, 
But Lord, give me that revival fire that that young Jeremiah Lanfear had. Give me that passion to see prayer mobilized in such a way that it produces real change, real revival that begins to awaken the heart of a church, not just in a city, but across a whole nation. You guys know that, that, that story. Um, Pastor Bill said it at the beginning. Yeah, he said, Keith, thank you. Man. Yes, perfect. Nice, perfect. Thank you. Uh, Pastor Bill said at the beginning, but our president, President Donald Trump, called today, set apart today as a national day of prayer. That's amazing. First of all, he said, you know, in time, he tweeted it, of course, and it says, he said, hey, we're calling um, Sunday as a national day of prayer because it, throughout history, our nation has always turned to God in times like this. Wow, what a platform where China and Iran and Iraq, my husband and I are moving to Iraq, and right now I'm invested in this virus stopping because Iraq's doors are closed. We're supposed to move in May, and my husband and I are standing, and we're like, no, Lord, that door has to stay open for the sake of the gospel. You have to make a way for us to go, not just us, but many, many others who are trying to work in that region right now who are unable to. So I have a vested interest beyond just our own nation because nations that don't know Jesus, where there's not a church on every street corner, where they can't web stream live services, they too are being affected. And the Lord wants his story to go forth in the midst of it. He wants hope to go forth in the midst of it in those, those nations. But I think of our president calling this as a day of prayer, setting it apart. At the end, we're going to pray some, if that's okay with you guys. But he set apart today as a day of prayer. And I'm thinking, wow, I wonder what China is thinking when they see that. I wonder what a witness that is right now to the Kurdish regional government of northern Iraq. I wonder right now in Iran, where men and women are dying, what they're, they're saying. And my hope and my prayer is that after today, the tides would be so shifted, there would be no explanation. But it was because God's people prayed and the tides were turned. What if, in the eyes of the whole earth, everyone is worried about this right now? My brother, my little brother's in Kona, Hawaii. He was supposed to go on an outreach to Nepal. All the outreaches are canceled. The whole earth right now is afraid. They don't want people coming through their borders. They don't want people traveling. But what if, in the eyes of the whole earth, because the church prayed, God really shifts things? What if after literally today, I think, what's today? The 15th. What if after Sunday the 15th, all of a sudden in a month, the news shows there was a steady decline starting today. Because all across America and the earth, God's people were praying his design. They were praying his vision. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done now on earth as it is in heaven. So today, as, as Trump called that, National, this National Day of Prayer, my heart is stirred that we as a body pray. But I want to go right back to Mark 4 and chapter 5, and I want to share one more thing. And so in the story, are you guys with me? Okay. Sorry, my, my, I'm trying to keep my mind from, like, being worried about my throat. But, so they get to the other side, right after the story. The wind and the waves obey Jesus. And then it's Mark 5. Hang with me. You guys know the story 
Jesus crosses over and all of a sudden he's, meted, he's met by this man who has a legion of demons in him. He's crazy, he's naked, he's running around and everyone's afraid of him. Everyone is afraid of this wild, crazy, crazy man. I have seen the demon possessed. I've not, I don't think I've seen anyone possessed with a legion of demons, but I can imagine what effect it would have on those who live near that person. They're afraid of him and they're challenging Jesus. And all of a sudden, the demons come out of this man and they begin to address Jesus and they say, don't cast us out. But we know Jesus is in the business of delivering people. He is in the business of saving the lost. He is in the business of salvation. So these demons, they say, hey, don't cast us out. And they understand Jesus is there for that purpose. He wants to deliver that man. And so they say, okay, there's pigs over there. Cast us into those pigs. And so what happens is Jesus casts a legion, I don't even know how many that is, a lot of demons into these pigs and they run off a cliff and all of a sudden the shepherds, the whole town is freaking out and they all begin to hear the story and they come and then I want to read it to you. It's right here. Uh, Mark 15 is where I'm going to start. Uh, no, no, no. Mark 14. The herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described it to them, how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to implore Jesus to leave. They were so scared of him. They were like, please just leave. Leave us alone. Please get out of here. We've never seen that demonstration of power. And it says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might come too. If, if I just got delivered, I would want to be with that guy too. He's like, you just freed me. You did what no one else could do. What no one else could do. And all it took was just a sentence and I was free. Let me come with you. Let me get on the boat with you. And Jesus responds and it says, he did not let him come, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And the man, he goes away. He begins to proclaim what Jesus had done for him. And then the next verse is they get back on the boat and they go back to the other side that they were just on. I, how I interpret this scripture, I'm not a theologian, what I've heard, but how I look at this is Jesus gets on the boat. He knows the waves and wind are going to come, but he knows what's on the other side. And he knows it's the freedom of this man's soul that's on the other side of that storm. And so he gets all the way there for one man. He sets him free. He gets right back on that boat and he leaves back to the other side. Jesus is in the business of setting people free. And I believe that this virus is a storm. But on the other side of it, there is real freedom for men and women who are caught in chains. I believe really for New York City that on the other side of this storm, that there is real freedom for the homosexual. There is real freedom for those caught in chains. There is real freedom because God is in the business of saving people. He wants salvation and he will use the least severe means to reach the most many people because he is a God of mercy, because he wanted that man to be saved. He used the storm. He got to the other side. He saved him and he goes right back. 
my heart this morning for New York and for our nation and for the earth is that this storm would be turned for his glory and that on the other side of it, there would be a movement of salvation that would eclipse anything we've ever seen before. That any rock post this coronavirus, that there would be salvations in the Muslim world that would cause men and women to tremble and say, who is this man that this disease obeyed? I believe for New York City that after this, the Lord wants to pour out his spirit. He wants to save souls. He wants these streets to be filled, not just because that's what New York's supposed to be like, but because he wants singing to fill the streets of New York. He wants the testimony of Jesus to fill these streets. And I really believe in my heart this morning that after the storm comes salvation. After the storm comes deliverance. After the storm comes freedom. Because Jesus has come. Because Jesus has come and he's turned the tides. He's caused the wind and the waves to cease. I was so stirred yesterday in the hotel when I was reading that. It was so funny. I called my dad. I said, Dad, I didn't tell him anything. I was looking at any scripture. I said, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to preach tomorrow, but I feel like it, I, I want to have a, a, just the right understanding in, in a pastoral sense. I want to be kind because I know there's real fear, and, and that's real. I, I know that really people have, have passed away, and there might even be people, I don't know, in this community or in other communities that have lost people to this virus. And I want to be tender towards that. And he said, you know what I think you should do? I think you should talk about Jesus on the boat. <laughs> and my Bible was open to it. I was like, get out of here. I've never heard my dad say that. I've never preached from this passage ever. And so I felt like it was the Lord. And I, and I, and I just, I feel like my heart for the church as you're home in your homes is that you would be strengthened by seeing Jesus, by having utter, complete confidence that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, that every living and breathing thing is in his hands, and that it is he who changes times and epochs. It is he who moves things like this for the good of the earth. In Isaiah, it says that when the judgments of God are in the land, the people learn righteousness. I'm not saying... I, I, I'm not going to stand before you and say this is God's judgment fully. I do think there is an element maybe of that, I, but I do think the enemy is at work. But I can say that when there is fear and, 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 and sickness or, or trouble in the land, the people of the land, their hearts are turned. They understand. They begin to encounter their own frailty. I guarantee all across your city right now, men and women are encountering their own frailty. They're beginning to understand, oh, there is an end to my days, and I don't know when that is. I better figure out what is coming next. And in that window of mercy, in that window of time, the church can then speak with authority and say, hey, in the midst of suffering, there is hope. But know this, even if I die tomorrow, I 
know where I'm going. Do you? Do you understand what comes after this? And in the midst of that, people's hearts are actually not hardened towards God. They're opened towards truth because they're hungry, because they're afraid. And then God uses disease or sickness or natural disaster as a divine thunderclap of mercy in the midst of it, calling men to repent, calling them to understand, to be aware of the age they're living in. And he does that through his church. He wants to release you guys to be a light to your neighbors. He wants to release you guys to be an answer in the midst of all the questions. And I feel like the Lord is about to baptize the church in this city for the sake of his own name because he wants the demoniac set free because he wants the broken redeemed because he wants salvation for the lost and the church is the means the vessel through which that message those laying on of hands that 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 embrace can come so i'm nearing the end i know we're getting towards the end of your service we're going to go into a time of prayer if you guys are with me. And I know that you sometimes move into, into um, like personal prayer times. And I think that, that we'll move into that too. But I just, right ending this, I want to just begin to pray and to respond even to the, the call of our own national leader. And say, yes, if you call this National Day of Prayer, the church will respond in, in prayer. So if the worship team would come up, and then I'm going to just go a couple more minutes as you guys are getting set. In Ezekiel 22:30, God says, I looked for a man who would stand in the gap, who would build up a wall, but I found no one. But I believe that right now, as the Lord is looking for a man who would stand in the gap, or a woman, or a community, I believe he's going to find people who are willing to stand, who are willing to build up a wall, who are willing to plead, to remind God of his own character, his own nature, to plead mercy in the midst of judgment. Jeremiah 9, God says that he is a God of loving kindness, of justice, and of righteousness. He is not turned his back he is not turned but he is wanting to show mercy in this hour he is wanting to pour out salvation to pour out mercy but he's looking for the church to partner with his heart in prayer and in intercession Moses stood before the Lord on behalf of Israel and he didn't pray Lord save Israel because they're great thank you he prayed Lord Save Israel in the sight of the nations for the sake of your own name. Do it because you're a God of mercy. And I feel like we're in a similar situation. The eyes of the world are, are looking from nation to nation. Who has the answer? And in the midst of it, God is saying, I want my people to have the answer, which is beseech me, pray to me back my heart. And I want to answer those prayers with mercy. He wants to be displayed as a God of mercy before the eyes of the nations. He wants a people like Moses to stand in the gap and to say not because of our own righteousness Lord but because you're righteous because you're a God of mercy turn your hand away from judgment turn what the enemy has intended for evil and use it for our good in 2nd Chronicles 7 God promises if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves 
will humble themselves, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, then I will turn and I will heal their land. God in this hour has a healing intended. He has a healing intended for our land. He has healing intended for the earth. I believe it. And he is able, he is able to move at the sound of our voice and to turn what the enemy has intended for evil and use it for the glory of his own name. Lord, I believe it right now that on the other side of the storm, you have real freedom intended. That you are a God of deliverance. You are a God of mercy. You are still a God who seeks and saves the lost. Father, we as your bride and as your church in the city, in our rooms, in our bedrooms, or our living rooms, wherever we are, the few of us gathered here, we respond in humility. We say, Lord, in the midst of the years, remember mercy and pour out your spirit. We say, Lord, we're thankful for what you did in 1857. But we're not satisfied. We want you to do it again. We want again this city to be filled with prayer. For the lost again to be saved in this city. We come, Lord, and we fix our eyes upon Jesus. We let fear and anxiety wash away in light of your face right now and 